Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Evolving Engineering and Construction Brands podcast with your host, Matthew Winkelstein. This week, we're going to air a recording from a podcast I recently guested on. The podcast is Wicked Energy with JG, fantastic host, fantastic podcast. Strongly encourage you to check it out. I wanted to share this one because Justin really pushed me to get into some of the tools, some of the processes that we've used to be able to grow engaging perspectives over the last 14 months. And uh, we talked a lot about artificial intelligence, although, you know, every month that goes by that knowledge becomes older and older, and we've actually moved on to some new tools. We've expanded some of that offering, but still think it's worthwhile to hear just some of the things that are out there. And also I think Justin did a good job of being inquisitive about what we do, some of the trends that are happening, not only in our space, but how that affects oil and gas and uh, just a positive episode with a, with a great person. I think you'll enjoy this one. So I wanted to share it on my channel as well. Hope you enjoyed this, this episode as much as I did recording it. Hey everyone, welcome back. And thanks for tuning in. I'm here with Matt Winkelstein president and owner of Engaging Perspectives. Matt, it's awesome to have you back on the show for round two. Full disclosure, the first one I was, I forget what happened, but I was in a coffee shop that sound quality wasn't great. The content was good, but uh, it's like what I tell everyone who's starting a podcast. It's a, it's imperative to have your sound quality. Matt, welcome back. How's everything in your world today? Dude, everything is absolutely incredible. And I appreciate that you care so much about the sound quality. And I actually remember why you were in the Starbucks, because that's how much of a professional you are and how much <laughs> we care about what you were doing. You're like, hey, man, this podcast is important to me, but I had to go out and meet this customer and just couldn't get right. back in time, couldn't cut it off. And yeah. I got a lot of respect for that, man. Oh, no, I appreciate that. And that's always it's one of those things like it's you only have you, your word is really the only thing you have. And so if you commit to something, come hell or high water, you got to try and make it happen. Now, obviously things do happen. So if at least you give some people a heads up, it's like, hey, it's just not simply not going to work. It is what it is. But I was like, I was like, oh, it should be okay. And then it just, it just wasn't. But anyway, glad to have you back on. Thanks for being flexible. Uh, it looks like you're back in your home office again. I see you got the little man's art in the background. So are you, I'm assuming you're in Ohio right now at your house, right? Oh yeah. Beautiful Akron, Ohio. It actually, I lie and say that all winter, like beautiful Northeast Ohio, but actually it's the weather's starting to turn. I'm getting a little more vitamin D. It's uh, yeah. Nice. Good to be home with young kids. It's a struggle. Sometimes <laughs> I've gone back and forth on whether I need to have my own office space, but some <laughs> of the moments make all the hard times worth it. Hey, isn't that so true? That's if you're anything like me, I don't know if that's, you said if having your own office, I have half of our craft room and so like just to the left of me is like a kindergarten classroom essentially is what it looks like which when my daughter was younger she was in here quite a bit more my son he's not quite into the arts and crafts stuff as much as she was but for a while it was like she spent so much time in here and there was pictures all over the walls and and yeah you got to embrace it right it's it humanizes the experience when you're on a real intense meeting and everyone logs in and they see just a bunch of colorful pictures of like hearts and unicorns and stuff in the background it's like, oh yeah you're a dad too you got shit going on this is good <laughs> yeah dude it centers you right like it's we love what we do and i think people like you and i that are passionate probably this was all of what we did at one point in our lives, but then you get married, you have kids and your perspective changes and all this needs to fit within this other stuff because we'll never get the time back with the little ones. So there'll be a day when, you know, my, my son's too cool to give me artwork like this to hang on my wall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's like, I, I'm fortunate enough to be home most of the time. I travel for work quite often, but it's only for a night, maybe two at a time. And uh, yeah, just still putting the little man to bed. It's kind of one of those things we've gotten into this routine. It's like my daughter loves having my wife put her to bed and my son loves having me put him to bed. But it's, yeah, it's funny because he's at an age now he's four and we still read books. He sits on my lap. 
And but what now he's getting so long, it looks like this like young like adult sit like lying across my lap. And it's just like back in the day, it was like this little nugget. And now he's sprawled out. And when he, if he falls asleep, when he's reading, I've got this little man, I've got to lift up and carry onto his bed, but it's, I don't trade it for the world. Sometimes I'll just sit there on the side of his bed. Cause it's his thing. He's like, daddy rubbed my back for a little bit. So I just kind of rubbed his back. He falls asleep, but man, I could just like stare at him for hours and just watch him sleep. And the same thing with my daughter. I used to put her to bed um, until we had little man, but I say all that to say, yeah, you got to embrace the moment. And that's not even with kids. It's just anything in general, right? We're always so focused on like the next thing. And we just, it's so hard for us a lot of times just to take, enjoy the moment. And then it sounds cliche, but it's like being present is so hard, man. Yes, dude. I agree with that so much. And I, I have such similar feelings where I was, especially before kids, I was always on to the next thing. I was always thinking about what's next. I would get a promotion and then I'd be like, okay, how do I get to the next promotion? And yeah. one of my biggest regrets in life that I'm glad I had kids later. Cause I don't think I'm going to have this with my kids is man, I missed out on so many opportunities by looking for what's next instead of enjoying where I was. Mm -hmm. And I think back of, man, if I just would have taken advantage of some of those opportunities by embracing and living in them more, I would have had a more fulfilling experience than just like getting to the next step. Wow. That's so true. And again, I, I was, this probably gives an answer to the question I was going to ask is if you were to rewind a little bit, looking back at the younger Matt, what kind of advice would you give him? Would you say just not necessarily pump the brakes, but be more mindful of, of how good things are in the moment instead of just constantly chasing? Could you add to that? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, and I say this to my adult self, slow down slow down. You don't, there are moments that I wished away that when I look back in hindsight, it's like, why was I wishing that time away? Like when I ran projects, I can remember so many times where I had a, I lived in California and I would travel to like all these places out west. I didn't love, but I actually enjoyed when I was there. I can just remember so many times thinking like, I just want this project to be done. I just want to be done with this. And now I was texting with a friend that still works for a previous company I worked for. And we were talking about how we never get to see each other anymore. And there was a period in our lives where we spent every day for months at a time together. And what I wouldn't give to go back and relive some of those experiences and not be so worried about getting back to these fake friends I had in California and being on a boat or doing whatever, and yeah. just embracing the people that I was building with and spending time with. Yeah. Slow down, live in the moment, and it'll all work out. Yeah, it all does. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so true, man. Well, uh, for the listeners out there, Matt and I have known each other for a while. And I had the pleasure of going on your show, which is called the Evolving Engineering and Construction Brands Podcast. And we, although we play in like different arenas, it's under the same ecosystem. It's industrial, it's B2B. And yeah, it's super fitting, man. And you've introduced me to some cool people. And so of course, I had to return the favor, have you back on my podcast. You're doing a lot of cool stuff. You went from you've been you have a background in HSNE, engineering, but now you've moved into more, again, like it's, I would call it marketing, but what is it that that engaging perspective is? It, at its base, it's a marketing consulting company. We self-perform for smaller companies, but a lot of what we get paid to do is my consulting. And then I have a small team and then we execute some of it. Got it is marketing, but it's focused in a specific area. So I got, I was in business development and that's how I got into marketing because when I was in business development, I realized What's really inefficient if I'm the one that's carrying the brand? And I worked mm. for a large brand at the time. And when I would go to meet with some of our large customers, they're like, oh, I didn't know you self-perform engineering. It's really? Yeah. <laughs> See, you were a huge company and we've been we've actually been doing it inside your organization, but you didn't realize that. And so that was really where the light bulb came on to me. Is, hey, people spend time on social media. People spend time online and in our industries. And that's why I was so fascinated with hearing your story because I feel like 
oil and gas is a little bit further ahead than where some of the other engineering and construction entities are. I felt like there's a better way to be able to reach people. And that passion has just, the passion and vision just continues to get more clear and more strong with, it's not only about that it's the most efficient way. It's also, I think the most respectful way. Do you want someone trying to take up all your time now that you're part remote, or do you want to be able to consume the information when you have time? Do you want to be bombarded with a million emails that you didn't ask for? Or do you want someone to create good content that helps you do your job, do it well, and then form a relationship that way? And so that's really what the focus on engaging perspectives is, is helping customers reach their customers and reach talent in ways that is not intrusive and Mm -hmm. ways that add value to the people that they're reaching out to. No. And again, I think that's been a struggle for, I would imagine in your world and in mine, and this is something we talked about before is just the challenges that we've had in industry, especially in our industry is like, we get married to the way and we romanticize about how we've done things in the past. And this is how we've done it. And without really understanding what it takes to get to the next level. And again, marketing, branding, like whether it be product marketing, brand marketing, but just the way we communicate with the buyer on the business side is constantly changing and evolving. And again, it's, I can imagine it being in your world, in my world, after this, because of the cyclical nature, things go, when things go sideways, you get a lot of times the folks that are close to retirement, either retire or they're forced retirement. And with that brings in a younger generation. And so I'm curious from your side of the fence, do you see that in in your world? And have you seen a shift in the way buyers consume, digest information to make buying decisions? Talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. And so I had my first experience with it was when I was in business development. So I came into business development and you said I had various roles. I was in environmental health and safety. I was in, I would ran projects and then I got into business development. So I didn't have a traditional business development network. And so I was like, how do I create this network? And there was this newer thing, LinkedIn. And so I wanted to try that out. And when I started to, it wasn't even good content. It was just showing up and connecting with people. I would start to go to conferences and they would recognize me. They'd be like, oh, I think I know you. No, you don't know me. You know me from LinkedIn, but I'm not going to argue with you. Hey, this is perfect. And so I was able to form relationships like that, realized there was a larger opportunity. And then the more I understood the opportunity and got the opportunity to run Keywits demand generation efforts. To, we were entering new markets, and it was like, hey, how do we reach these customers? And so it was part thought leadership, having people show up through LinkedIn by posting content, and the other part was creating places for customers to do research. And that's what we experienced. Some people would come direct inbound, where it's like, hey, I've been consuming your content. I want to have a conversation with you. And other ones were like, I was searching around and didn't realize that Keywit was in the hydrogen market, which is crazy to say now because now Keywit's more well known in that. But when I was doing it, Keywit wasn't known in that market. And Mm. so as people were doing their research, they would find that Keywit was associated with it. Keywit already has a large brand. And so then people were pretty interested in figuring out how Keywit might be able to help them in that market. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. And so what about so you've, you obviously were like have got into podcasting and you doubled down on that. You're creating a bunch of content. But at what point did you realize like podcasting had value and what's your, like ultimately like what's your goal for podcasting? Cause I've, and I, there's two parts to that question is the obvious one is what I'd asked, but on the sort of, in addition to that is I've had a lot of people, which is interesting because I thought for a while podcasting was growing at a pretty good clip. I would say stabilized, but I'm starting to get a lot of inbound requests from people within my network that are now finally taking my suggestions saying everyone and their dog should have a podcast. Every company should have a podcast. So I've had a lot of inbound requests and say, Hey, like, how do I launch a good podcast? Like I finally realized like this is actually valuable and the time 
in the money is like far better spent doing something like that than trying to go to every conference I possibly can. Yeah. Two parts to that. Why'd you get into podcasting? Um, and then ultimately like, what are you seeing from that? And do you, are you a big proponent of people, more people getting into podcasting? Yeah. So I, I got into podcasting because I started out making content and what I realized was my content was a little bit short of where I wanted it to be. And when you start to create content consistently, it's hard. And so podcasting is a way for me to be able to create a lot of content in a relatively easy manner. Launching a podcast isn't easy, but when you get into the system and you have a way to be able to get guests, you have a way to be able to onboard guests, and then you have your editing process, you can take a 30 to 45 minute conversation and create five pieces of content. So our podcast has always been a lot more geared to the actual content that we get out of it versus the podcast itself. Now yeah. we've been doing it now going on two years. So the podcast has grown, but our clips are still seen 10 to 12 times more than our actual podcast is downloaded. And that's what a lot of people talk to me about. So I got into it to make it easier to create content. And then also it was, there's a lot of skepticism about whether digital marketing would work in our industry. And it was yeah. like things that seemed so obvious to me. And when I had conversations that were validated, people just didn't believe it. So it's, do I want to go one-on-one -on -one and have all these individual conversations and say, hey, look, your buyers are online. They perform their own research. They are on social media. It's like, that's ineffective. And so what I did with our first season was called the buyer's market. I interviewed buyers of engineering construction services and asked them, hey, how do you use social media? Do you perform your own research? And it was laughable a couple episodes in because people are like, yes, of course I research all these companies ahead of time. I do this. I don't even talk to anyone unless I know about them and I discover them through digital channels. And so it that became so obvious and so redundant that we moved the podcast to evolving engineering and construction brands to where it's, hey, we want to talk to more people like you that have been through this and how do you evolve this? Mm. And so do I think other companies should launch a podcast? Absolutely. But make sure that you approach it the right way. Don't make it a 30-minute commercial. If it's a 30-minute commercial, it's not going to work. That's yeah. the biggest mistake people make with content. My own content can get like that sometimes. I can get caught up into what I want to say and not thinking about what people want to hear and what's going to help them. And mm. that content never performs well. And the key to social media is it's all the people that aren't actually making buying decisions. How do you get them interested enough to pay attention to you? So when they do need something, they think of you, you have credibility and they come to you. And if you can create a good podcast that serves your potential customers and your talent, like the world's your oyster, you're going to have people that when they have that need, they're going to come to you. Right. Absolutely. More people should get into it. But I think people need to reach out, especially in your industry, like people like you, you've done it for entertainment before this, and you've done it as a business now. So you understand the ins and outs, how to get the process, but you'll understand how to frame a podcast the right way. Yeah. I think a key of bringing in an external person is you don't have the curse of knowledge. And so you'll be able to run those gates and checks of, hey, why are people going to care about this? And if they're not going to care about it, then there's no point in doing it. Yeah, no, it's it's a, it's again, it's a fascinating world. And so in in the, the construction, in, in, in that, in the industry that you're in, what inning would you say you guys are in with regards to digital marketing and branding? Is it, is there still a lot of room to grow or are, have most people figured it out? Like where are you at? And then how are you going to get, kind of people where they're at to the next level to really understand the value behind just proper marketing and communication. And again, the content side of the whole sort of equation. Cause I think nowadays I would argue that piece of it 
is just as important as hiring. Like it's one thing to have a marketing manager, but even to have a content manager at some point and like a community manager, because all of that stuff plays a huge part. Absolutely. And some of why I switched to marketing was fear. I hate to say that, but it was, I was in business development and I was good at it, but I realized the power of my content was more power. I couldn't grind hard enough to reach as many people that I reached with my content and mm -hmm. make an impression. Like I'd sit up there and deliver this big presentation and people would remember 1% of it maybe. And so it took follow-up after follow-up. And when I saw content, I could do that more passively and be able to attract people. And so some of the reason I got into marketing was I thought, Hey, I like business development, but I think the way that at least the beginning parts of business development are done are going to change. And I would rather be on the precipice of that change than be gobbled up by the change and have to deal with some other person coming in here and shaping the way this is going to go. Cause I already know the customers. Yeah. Like I'm, I, that's why you get good at business development, right? You service your customers. So figuring out how to do that through content is huge. And that's where I think a lot of marketers fall short. I would say that we're in the early stages. So I talk to people all the time and I'm not a, I believe in like in competing in com, competing in the micro, like there's certain opportunities you're going to compete for with someone, but in the macro, it's a lot more about bringing people up. Engineering construction is a multi-trillion dollar industry in the United States. There's not enough people that can do it well. That's going to impact me and what I want to do with my life. And so I talk to some people and they're like, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think we might compete? I'm like, Hey, I definitely think you should do it. I think there's a lot of opportunity out there. There's more need than there are quality people that can do it. And hey, come on in. I'll tell you everything I know. I'll help you learn. And if you become better at me, great. If you got some customers that you don't want to work with, pass them my way and I'll do the same thing. And let's grow this thing together. The more people that believe in it, the more likely it is that there are these opportunities. When I first started doing it, it was like you had to really convince people that this was would even work, let alone was necessary. So yeah. I would say very early innings. I don't think that anyone really does it well, to be honest with you, because when you look at their social media channels, it's a lot of, we do this, we do that, we do this, we do that, we do this. I think there are individuals that do it well, yeah. but as far as brands, like brands are well-established, especially in construction, okay. but they're established through, I'll use Kiwa as a good example. They were a fantastic company. They still are fantastic company. They have a strong brand. They have a reputation in multiple markets, but it's a lot based on the color of the trucks, right? People know keyword as these yellow trucks and it's the color of the branding, where the logo is placed. All that kind of stuff is important, but that's not building a brand that tells someone, Hey, why should I build? Why should you build my bridge? Why yeah. should you be able to build this power plant? Why are you the right engineering partner for this complex construction project? That is a lot more beyond the logo. And those are the kind of brands that I think you can only build through digital. Really? So let's double click down onto the digital pieces establishing trust, right? That's a big one in communicating the values and why you do things the way you do them. What are the best ways to communicate the message that companies are trying to do and not, oh, podcasting or this, but is there a certain sort of, of way to approach it with regards to whether it be like certain campaigns or like certain strategies that you would use, like a bunch of video that can you get a little bit in the weeds with what's the best way to establish that? Because Again, I think a lot of, there's a lot of vanilla content and I think a lot of people create content for content's sake, but when you really look at the strategy and sort of the science even behind it, you can essentially do a much better job and get a bunch higher ROI versus just going on Canva, using a template, throwing a few words on there and posting it, right? Absolutely. I think there's a, I'm going to try and answer this the best I can. And if I get a little bit off, just rope me back in. <laughs> yeah, <no worries. laughs> so the first 
mistake I see people do is they go too shallow. So it's like you have these values. Those values may be important to you, but why does your customer care about those values? So you might, and then let's say quality. It's obvious why quality is important to customers because it reduces extra work. It results in a product that's going to last longer, all these different things. But even that is, is a little bit superficial and everyone can say the same thing. So it's about putting yourself in the customer's shoes and how does this actually affect them? And then communicating whatever you believe is important in a way that's more impactful to them, less impactful to you, even though it gets you at the same spot. And then it's like the medium, video, written text, all that stuff. I think doing all of that is good. It's whatever you're good at, but it's being able to tell, once again, a story from your customer's perspective. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what you do it on. If you communicate your customer's problems from their perspective, and then you demonstrate that you can solve it, through your content and through customer proof, you can do that in a million different ways. You can do that through an individual thought leadership campaign where someone like yourself is in a company and then you post consistently on LinkedIn about your customer's problems and here's how we solve them. You can do it through a targeted ad campaign where you create videos or create an e-brochure saying, hey, here we recognize these are your problems. This is the way we've solved them for other customers. This is how we can solve them for you. And so you can take this I don't want to call it a cookie cutter because it's hard to really get there. You have to continue to go deeper. You have to continue to refine your understanding. Right. And then to your point about in the tactics of A-B testing, you have to not only test your message, you not only have to come up with the message, you have to test your message broadly and independently. I think sometimes people fall in the trap of data is important, but like you understand what a customer really believes better than a marketer that's just looking at data from a campaign. And the reason why I can say that and believe that pays out is because I've seen it turn into revenue. Okay. If you just look at what people click on, there's a million different reasons why people do or don't click. And so you can look at some data and say, this doesn't work. But then when you go to a conference and you talk to people, they're talking about the problems that you identified and they're associating you as someone can solve them. Because it had a low click-through rate or because no one converted on a website, you're going to say the campaign didn't work when you go to a conference and you're having these conversations and you're yeah. actually getting opportunities. So it's was that... No, that, that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it does. And because a lot of the questions I get from folks, <clears throat> whether it's just running into them at, at a networking event or even some of the close contacts that I deal with on a regular basis, like for companies, the question is always, will I see sales by doing this? Like, why should I do this? I, how does that convert into sales? And I think people still have a misunderstanding of when you're constantly in someone in front of someone's face and you're providing valuable content, you can't necessarily directly correlate that to if I put out X, I'm going to get a Y in return. So what, how do you answer if someone, if you're going to someone say, let me help you with what you're doing. Let me come work for you guys. What's the pitch or how do you articulate the value? And you've described it, but because the biggest thing is I tell people, oh, you need to get a podcast. Like, Am I going to get sales from it? It's no one's going to hear your podcast and then call and sign off on a contract or get a PO going. But it's it's bridging that gap. And and let's talk more specifically with just podcasting because you, you've obviously done it now. How would you answer that when someone says, what's the ROI? Am I going to generate sales from doing something like that? So I would say it goes in stages and this is the way I explain it. Another thing I'll say is I'm not trying to convince anyone anymore. There's enough people that understand it. And so if you're so far off that you're just like, Hey, what is the revenue I'm going to generate off doing this? You don't understand the value and you'll understand it over time. And Hey, don't forget about me. Come back to me, but you're right. <laughs> yeah. You probably won't generate any revenue off of it, but it's typically followed a similar kind of path. 
And I haven't been able to monetize a podcast necessarily where you're getting the podcast. What I have been able to do is monetize the content. And so the way I look at it is the first indication you're going to see it's working is the vanity metrics. So you'll see more views. You'll see more of your customers following you. You'll see, you'll see that volume right from especially LinkedIn content. You see what companies are consuming it. So it's, oh, these five companies are the top companies that consume it. The first one's always your company. Then you got yeah. a couple of friends in industry. That's good. But then you see, oh, I want to work with them or I already do work with them and I want to do more work. And so that's the first indication of, okay, this is starting to work. Mm -hmm. Then you get to in-person. What is it like when you go out and have these conversations? When you went out before and had these conversations, did people know you? Did they know about your company? What does that feel like? Is it easier to get these follow-up meetings? This works for me, especially with smaller companies where it's, not sure it's working, not sure it's working. They go to an event and they have a target list of clients and every one of them says, hey, I love your LinkedIn post. I've been consuming your content. Let's have a follow-up meeting. I had one yeah. of my smaller customers got invited to speak at a customer's event because of the leadership post that he made. So did that result in direct revenue? Not from that individual engagement, but now he's a relationship with that vice president. He just spoke to the whole company, like mm. their whole little division, Yes, that's absolutely going to lead to him working for that GC in the future. Yeah. So it's, you see what's happening online. Then you start to see what's happening in person. And then lastly, you start to convert that stuff to actually revenue. And mm -hmm. that can take, a, I've seen it take, you know, for the largest brands I've worked with, it works within a month, but that's like a $12 billion company. If you're talking about a smaller organization, it can take three or four quarters for that to play out. That's yeah. why I'm not trying to convince anyone anymore. And, but I understand how to communicate it now. It's like, Hey, at first there's going to be a huge spike. Everyone's going to be really excited. Oh, you're posting. Congratulations. Yes. And then that's <laughs> going to drop off. It's going to be yeah. like, Oh, okay. We're used to this. That's where your baseline is. Then we want to figure out how do we add enough value to continue to grow it from there? We want to pay attention to who's consuming it. Mm -hmm. And then tell me what's happening in person. Right. What are people saying? And then when we have strategic messaging, it's, you might have a specific problem that you solve for a customer, but they don't understand the problem the way that you do. And so two of your first three BD meetings are trying to explain to them this problem. And so where you start to see it in person is you'll have people talk to you and say, I've been consuming it. And then you'll have a meeting. But then when you go and have these meetings, you get to skip by the first two because they understand the problem and they want to talk to you about how specifically you can solve it for them. They're not trying to understand the problem anymore. And so my experience is you start to measure that stuff and you the value becomes obvious very quickly. And then I there are, maybe there's some marketers out here that are better at it than I am and they know how to do this, but I've struggled to convert people from the digital conversion points. Like I get people that schedule meetings, but a lot of the stuff that comes through websites isn't the high quality stuff that we're looking for. But then when you look at these meetings and revenue that comes from customers that you've never worked with, but in consuming your content, it's, oh, this is working. Yeah. <laughs> it's again, I like when you say I'm not, I'm tired of trying to convince people anymore. It's again, there's people, you can't convince the unconvincible. And then sometimes people just put up a brick wall. It's kind of like what we face on, on the oil and gas side. And it's like, we're tired of trying to convince people that oil and gas is important and that it's necessary for, you know, human flourishing and development. And yes, we do have things we need to overcome, but yeah, you just stay the course and do it in the right way instead of trying to convince and fight people on it. Cause it's just like a losing battle, but I'm curious. Yeah, move on to the next.
Yeah, there's enough. The, the pie is big enough where you can keep chewing on another piece. Is there anything trending in your space that's worth mentioning? The whole, the whole open AI, chat GPT thing has been big. Are you leveraging any of those tools? And if not, what are you most excited about on, on what's like a tool or some software or anything that kind of helps you with your productivity? Oh man, there's so much. So I, I spend probably six to 10 hours a week, depending on the week, just focus on that. So everyone is familiar with this. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. There's a people problem. Not only is it hard to find people, it's hard to find the right people. And so any process that a human touches that you can automate, or you can even come close to automating is huge. I used to have a design team. Now I can do all that stuff without a design team. That's made us way more efficient. It's reduced our costs. It's also allowed us to move quicker because the only people that are touching the business are really motivated people. And I also think that gives powers to motivated internal marketing teams. So if you're a one-person band or you're a three-person band wondering, how do I launch a podcast? How am I going to edit the video? There's software called Descript where you can edit the text and then that edits the video for you. Right. You can remove filler words. So now you went from, I need a video person to I'm really motivated. I can do this. Chat GPT, I mess with that. I use that more for kind of refinement. Like I will, I will write something and I'll say, how do you make the, make this more concise? Or I will say, say this in Winston Churchill's voice. And so what would it look like if Winston Churchill delivered this? I'm still figuring out how to be able to do that. A new one that we just started using that I think is awesome for especially small businesses. It's just, and I'm reluctant to call individual brands because I don't represent any of them. So take it with a grain of salt. There's probably someone else that does it, but we have this company we just started working with called Clara. Okay. So Clara schedules my meetings for me. I have a two person business and a lot of freelancers and that's how we do all of our work. That's intentional. We're up to, we're up to over $600,000 in revenue with two people and then freelancers and artificial intelligence. And so Clara used to take up a lot of time from one of my She's, I call her, she does everything, but she's really good at process, but I'm really bad at scheduling meetings and she, she would schedule all the meetings. Now we're thinking about hiring a virtual assistant, but that's still process people. It's going to take up time. Yeah. Clara, you go and set your settings. And then I email Clara and say, Clara, find a meeting time with Justin and I next week or on the next Wednesday or within the next month. Clara responds back like an actual person. So most people don't even realize it's, it's an artificial intelligence replies back as a person and says, Oh, glad to do that for you, Matthew. Justin would do any of these times work for you. And then she coordinates the whole meeting thing, schedules the meeting and it's done. And so now what? my, yes, this just started using this thing like two weeks ago and it's phenomenal. And so technology like that is continuing to evolve. I hate to say it, but I worry for lazy people, for people like you and I, I think this is the most incredible time to be alive. If you're motivated, you're yeah. willing to put in the work, you're willing to figure it out. The world is your oyster. If you want to coast by and you have this easy job that you're wondering, like, Maybe you don't wonder this. That's why you're not self-aware, but you're wondering like, man, I can't believe I get paid so much to do this. I think those jobs are really at risk because you have someone like Clara that now all of a sudden, like I said, a 200 person business, that's $600,000 in revenue. That's insane. I had a five person business that did 200,000 before. <laughs> what the, what's going on there? <laughs> no, no kidding. That's uh, so are there any other, so what is it called? Clara? Clara. Yep. Interesting. One other good, valuable nugget takeaway software tool. I don't want to give up all your, your secret sauce here, but what's another cool tool that you use? You said Descript. What's one more? So 
one, this one I'll say, but I'm not sure it's going to be as useful when Microsoft Copilot comes out more broadly. Yeah. We use something called Fireflies. And so what Fireflies does is it joins the meeting. So you, you get it all set up and then it joins your meeting and it takes notes. So before, like a lot of what I do is interviews, right? I have to interview my customers. I have to interview a lot of people. And I used to take my own notes. That wasn't efficient. I was constantly in my notebook and not in the interview. Then we had someone sit in and take notes. That's expensive, right? And time consuming. And then now we have fireflies and it's not perfect, but it in I can have eight meetings in a week and spend 45 minutes on Friday or Saturday and go back through and look at all the highlights. And then it tries to do different things like organize by tone, but that's where it falls short. It'll like it. If it recorded this, it would say there's 78 tasks that you have after this meeting. I'd look <laughs> at them. There's three that I actually need to do. Right. Yeah. Uh, but so it's, but all this stuff, that's the thing is you can't let perfect be the enemy of progress. None of this stuff is perfect. You have to work with it. You have to figure it out. You have to keep messing with it. You have to keep developing it yourself. But mm -hmm. then as you do that, you get better at it. You figure it out. You understand how it can plug in and help you. I don't know anything that's automatic. There's right. always a little bit, but you, you reduce the human touch. You make things easier. Like I said, I had someone that would sit on a call and take notes and all my content interviews now that mm -hmm. don't need that anymore. So with the note taking, because there's a lot of people I think that are listening are like, oh my gosh, I need to use this Firefly thing, which I noticed it was on our screen. So what is it? So it'll essentially, when it says take notes, will it be like bullet point or what are, what's it's deliverable look like? So you go to, it'll send an email. I'll send you the, I'll share it with you after ours too. So you can see it because oh, we okay. actually use it for podcast. So it creates... Yeah you can use it to make show notes essentially. That's so like so awesome. I can either feed the whole transcript into chat GPT and say, Hey, make, make podcast show notes and then edit those show notes, or this creates a bunch of bullets. And then you can just look at the bullets and it's a little bit off, but you're a lot closer if you didn't do it at all. Mm -hmm. But the best part about it is for an interview like this or a content interview, it'll say the bullets. And then when you have it set up, right, you can go back and actually look at the video too. So yeah. let's say like we had this great part of the conversation, but I, you know, I was really, I wasn't sure the way that Justin responded to that. So I'll go back and look for that, look for that sentence or look at that area. And then it'll replay that section of video for me. And so it looks like a square and then below the square is a bunch of text. Those are the bullets. And then off to the left of the square, it'll say happy, sad, angry, all these emotions. I don't think that's nearly as accurate, but then off to the right, it's just the whole transcript. And so when you click on one of the bullets, it'll go to that part in the transcript, or you can just go through the transcript and replay what you want. Wow. That is crazy, man. It's, I was talking to a guy the other day at work and there was a, oh, it was even within our organization, we have tools coming out and, and just different ways to assist people to, to increase their productivity or to, just improve the way their deliverables are. And there's things that are happening that like him and I were laughing. We haven't even had a chance to figure out the last thing. And now we're coming out with this thing. Do you think it'll be like at some point, like death by tools in terms of just, there's so much out there. Do you think we'll just get back to going fully organic? I suspect not, but like at what point do you know what to use and what not? Because you only have so much time to trial all these things. You just taste a little bit of everything and figure out your own sort of tech stack. How do you go about selecting all these tools and ways to try and help you get better? Because at some point, I feel like you try so many that it's, man, I just feel like I'm spinning my wheels, but it sounds like you've figured it out. I wouldn't say I figured it out. You can definitely waste time doing it. But when like our mission is not to expand our people in these administrative areas. 
So I do not want to have to hire an administrative person unless I have to. Yeah. And so that is our guidelines. Does it make this? Descript was incredible because you didn't have to edit video. So that took a big chunk. We had a video editor that we needed now. Like, dude, I my podcast. So I can make five clips in my podcast, completely brand them, have an opening, a closing. I can do that in 30 minutes now. That used to take a designer a couple hours. They Maybe they were lying to me and it took them less time. But me with very limited video editing skills, I just, I had barely learned how to do it. I can do all of that in 30 minutes. And so the way that I identify the tools is I spend time on Twitter. So Twitter is, that's what's out front. And I look at what, honestly, what are kids posting? I follow a handful of people like Altman's one of them. He's the one that created chat GPT. And so who's commenting on his post? And then I look what they post. Mm -hmm. And so I have, that's how I develop. There's 10 to 12 people that are always posting tools and they do a good job of saying this tool does, this tool does that. And so if they post a tool, I don't always have time to do it, but I'll send that to my phone. And when I have time, I'll go look it up. What does this tool look like? How hard is it to implement? And if there's like Clara was, obvious to me, oh, if AI can schedule a meeting for me, that's a huge time saver because now I have the person that does my process focused on process and not focused on scheduling my meetings. So the benefit in that is compounding what's exponential and it just alleviates so much of that time. So I want to figure this out now. There's other ones that I'm interested in, but it's to your point, you can definitely drown by it and too much can be too much. And yeah, you really have to figure out like what works for you. There's a lot of things that are cool, but you don't know how to use them and you don't know how it adds value. And to me, if you don't directly understand how it adds value, what's the point in messing with it right now? when there's other things that could. Right. No, I haven't had as much time and I haven't prioritized playing with a lot of these things. And as a one man band, like you said, I, I edit my own show. I create my own content. I schedule my own deals and it's literally like finding time walking down the hallway and, or evenings, weekends, lunch hours, or if I have timestamps during the day that I can like quickly try and knock something out. I know I have to get better at leveraging these tools, but then I think of the time it's going to take me to learn a tool. And I think it's just like most humans, it's, oh, let me just get it done. Cause I don't want to like waste time trying to figure this out. And in, in time, I know I'm going to have to, but no, it's just, it's good for anyone out there that, that does create a lot of their own content or is just kind of gets bogged down in the process or the workflow of having to do things on your own. Hopefully at the very least, this podcast is giving you some tools to increase your efficiency because <laughs> clearly Matt's firing on all cylinders, which just, it fires me up. When, when you talk to people, sometimes they're energy drainers or energy, pro- like you gain energy or you lose energy. Yeah. I think myself and most of the people listening are going to be just fired up to, to hit the ground running and use some of these things. I do want to touch a little bit on, on brand. And I, and I think I asked you this in the last episode, but being branded is important. I'm curious back in the day for you, what's the first brand that you remember connecting to? Is there any one specific that you latched onto and you would just buy them because of, I noticed you're wearing a Nike sweater, which is funny because I'm wearing Nike long sleeve, but is any sort of brands come to mind from back in the day? Yeah, absolutely. But can I say one more thing about artificial intelligence and these tools and stuff? Yes, please. Uh, First, I have an advantage, right? I don't have, this is my job. And so when all you have to do is this, you have different bandwidth to be able to mess with things. And so it's in my best interest to try and learn this stuff to understand where the industry is headed. I actually think that there's, you think about now, like it's uh, people joke, the future's today 
just not everyone's living in it. And so there's a lot of people that are still doing accounting on Excel spreadsheets. And then there's, and doing CRM on Excel spreadsheets. Then there's Salesforce and everything that can do two totally different ends of the spectrum. And so I think there's always going to be opportunities to help people evolve through that. And so for me, I think of how can I add the most value to my clients? And part of it is helping small teams do more with less. And so that is also why I've committed so much time to this. It's not just my efficiency. It's I get paid by clients to help develop their teams. And if I can help them not have to bring a C player on and help their A players perform better, that's ultimately a better service than if I didn't understand this stuff. Yeah. It's because you've had a lot of time to play with it and become more experienced and use all these tools more efficiently. It'd be cool if you created, have you ever heard of Udemy? So my brother-in-law told me about it and then you can create courses online that then you can, it's, it's like a paywall, how to, or best tech stack and how to implement them for XYZ business. And you could charge like 20 bucks and, and do it, man. I've always considered creating one for how to launch a successful podcast. Cause I I've started building out, like it started off with just a single page, then it became two or three. And now I'm at like eight pages. And every time I talk to someone about it, it gets more detailed. Yeah. Again, it's just, everyone has a lot of good experience and people are looking for sort of that one-stop shop instead of having to like Google or YouTube something, and then just get splattered with videos and information. Cause then you're like, Holy smokes, what do I look at? But yeah, man, you, again, you may consider when, when you get big enough to where you have everyone doing everything for you and you can just steer the ship, create courses and, and help people learn. Cause at the end of the day, and that's why selfishly, I was asking these questions. I'm like, I need to get caught up, get up to speed here. Cause you're going at lightning speed. And I feel like I'm snailing behind trying to figure out what to do and how to create process and get these things knocked out. But, uh, but anyway, I encourage you to share a lot of that stuff. It's, it's super fascinating, man, especially for someone like yourself, who's built it and it's real. And you were just telling me about a deal that you, you recently closed on. And again, it's, the proof is in the pudding, right? And so it's, uh, it's working and the more you can educate others, high tides, what do they say? High tides float all rising boats. tides, lifts all boats, <laughs> rising tides, lifts all boats. Yeah, man. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I digress going off on a tangent there, but yeah. Yeah, going back to brand, man, any you remember growing up with that you just stuck with you forever? Dude, and I, I feel bad because you said, like, I asked you a similar question. I feel like I'm jocking your answer here, but nah. Nike was one of the early ones for me. Okay. Just, I was, all I knew was sports growing up. All I wanted to be was a professional athlete. Whatever season I was in, I was going to be a professional that. When it was football, I was going to be a professional football player. Those who can't see me, I'm like a six-foot white guy. Never going to be a professional athlete at anything. Last name Winkelstein, you can figure out my lineage. That wasn't actually my future. But until I was like probably... 18 years old, even though all the proof was in front of me, I thought I was going to be a professional athlete. So I always loved Nike. I always loved Jordan. Thinking back to I was one of those kids with a starter jacket, begged my parents. We didn't have a lot of money, but I was like, I need a starter's jacket. I need a Celtic starter's jacket. Come on. I need a starter jacket. Yeah. (laughs) And I still, I still appreciate Nike. Now it's changed. I appreciate now for the quality of their clothing. They do produce a high quality clothing at a decent price. There's other brands that I appreciate more and, but I appreciate them. Now it's, it's weird because I have a strange relationship with brands because I feel like so many brands have betrayed their customers, even Nike to a certain degree. So I don't feel like I have as strong brand affinity. And so the way I use brand is less about really loving the brand and more about using the brand as a shortcut to understand what they're about. I'm Hmm. sure you probably have this in the fitness industry where there is, I'll use one TB12. 
So I trust the ingredients that Tom Brady puts in his stuff. Uh, and so are there better protein powders? Probably, but, or there could be, but his unflavored protein powder, I'm not worried about him sticking something in there. That's going to end up in five years being bad for me. Cause that's what he's putting in his body and he looks yeah. out for his body. So that's a shortcut where it's okay. I want to find electrolytes, but then I don't want to have to do all the research. I just want quality electrolytes. I want a quality protein powder that doesn't yeah. have flavoring in it. And so TB12 is another one of those brands now I look at. And I do that a lot with health in particular, where it's okay. I trust the label as long as the brand isn't sold to some other big conglomerate. They're not going to start putting in stuff that's terrible for me. And I'm going to regret in a handful of years. Yeah. You actually, it's funny. You bring up a really interesting point because- I would associate brands with the people that stand behind them as well. One being, so again, I'm big into health and fitness, Andrew Huberman. If anyone is on the, the kind of the science end of research or with health and fitness on the research front, you know who that is. He's been a big proponent of athletic greens and there's tons of green drinks out there, like tons, but there's certain individuals who are sponsored by them, who back them. And I didn't even like, it, when he, when I first started listening to him and understand the circles and how he approaches health and fitness, and he mentioned them as a sponsor, I didn't even think twice. I was like, yep, that's the one. And so it's interesting because it comes down to trust, right? And I think the influencer marketing, because essentially he's an influencer marketer for them, right? They're mm -hmm. using his, you know, him as an influencer and someone as an expert in their field. He's like, let's get him to, or let's sponsor his podcast because people are going to buy stuff. And so that's an interesting sort of piece to marketing that we haven't leveraged in our industry. There's no, in, there's influencers from a perspective of we can influence people's maybe thoughts around certain subjects, but we haven't necessarily found influencers that influence people's decisions on how to buy something. Are there influencers in your world? And have people got into that at all? No, I think it's an untapped market. Right. Where it's, um, I could see you've been at podcasting longer than I have. I could see a situation in, in a couple of years where it's you're evaluating certain drilling equipment and it's like, hey, you understand the industry so well and you do your due diligence and you commit to your audience that you're going to look at this stuff. So yeah. when a new product comes on board, you're going to evaluate it and give an honest review. And then if you agree with it, then you'll let that person sponsor you. And then that's a way for them to be able to shortcut and get into your network. Yeah. I definitely think that comes about. I think there's there's a couple problems. I think the first problem is there's not enough people creating content. Like you would think that everyone in the world's creating content. It seems like that because certain industries create so much of it. Like mm -hmm. people like you and I in these industries, there's not a ton of people that are doing it. There's even less people that are doing it. I would say from a time and product standpoint, you're a little bit ahead of me. I'm scrambling, trying to get up and trying to get my content to be better and better. And so as people like you and I, and people that maybe I'm not, a, there's Construction Brothers podcast. There's some guys that get some sponsorship deals with SaaS stuff. Okay. They're on that path. But I think it's, there's not a lot of people out there that are making content to where mm. a brand could go to them and do that. I think as people create more content and people create more personal brands where it's, Hey, maybe you're a, you're a well engineer that just focuses on this type of well or this type of production. And you start making content around how people can do that better, not necessarily tied with a company, but tied as a consultant. Then you can see an opportunity where people that service that market and products, they could come to them and say, Hey, will you do this? But who's going to buy a piece of equipment? Cause Jake Paul said, so I doubt anyone in your industry, right? Like no exactly. one cares. Right. right you're popular. That doesn't mean anything here. I yeah. want to make sure you're not going to lose me money. <laughs> no, but again, I, like you said, it's an untapped market. Again, it's B2C is way different than B2B. 
But I think if someone was were to get creative enough and, and leverage the concept, I think there's an in, there's opportunity for folks like whether it be me yourself. There's a few people who do a lot of content creation that have built a good community within the oil and gas space to where that may be something down the road. But but again, you just look at a lot of the B to C type stuff and influencer marketing is huge. And again, we haven't quite seen it take off in our world. But again, like I said, I was just curious because it's always something that looking at other industries and the way other people do something, it's like, what's the best thing of what about what they do? And let's see if we can apply it here. Because I mean, let's be honest, nothing is created. Most things aren't created or complete 100% organically. It's like taking bits and pieces from other things that you see and uh, draw conclusions and capitalize on the potential. In the interest of time, you know, again, I thought it was like 1240 and it's already past the hour, but <laughs> but I do want to ask, I always like to close out with a couple of personal questions, but again, you're firing on all cinders. You got a family, you got a lot going on, but I'm curious in the mornings, do you have any daily habits or routines, or it could be in the evenings anything that kind of helped keep you grounded, focused, charged up, but do you do anything on a regular basis or on a daily basis that kind of helps keep you dialed in and that contributes to your success? Yes. I'm the most consistent with my morning routine. I'm still trying to get my night routine dialed in. One thing I do almost every night is put my son to bed and that has a different kind of effect, but from a productivity standpoint, I, that just fills my heart. I don't think it makes me more productive necessarily, but in the morning I have a five minute journal that I do that just asks a handful of questions. It's lets me set a positive intention. I meditate for between 10 to 15 minutes and then I write in a journal. And then as of late, since we've had our second kid, I go upstairs and get this thing. It's called kitchen zero. So at night, my wife like puts all the dishes away when I'm bringing the kids upstairs or she gets them into the dishwasher, cleans the kitchen. And then I come in the morning, put all of them away, get her set up. So it's like handing, like we do duties with that. And so nice, those, nice. those are like the most consistent things I do in the morning. And then like yourself, I'm religious about exercise in some format. I've had to move my workouts to the afternoon because my best brain power is in the morning. I absolutely hate it. I miss working out at five 30 and six in the morning, yeah. but it also sucks up so much time of where I have peak energy and peak brain power that yeah. it's harder, but I make sure I get my exercise in and I make sure I get outside. That's awesome. No, I love it. The outside piece is huge. You mentioned vitamin D earlier. Again, I've geeked out over vitamin D. I've gone down the rabbit hole and how important it is. I, I'll, and again, I don't want to contribute this wholeheartedly, but I feel like that there's some piece of this is I was fortunate enough throughout the entire pandemic to never get COVID not that I knew of. And, but I made sure, and I get blood work done pretty regularly every, about f every eight to 10 weeks. Again, just I'm weird about things, but my vitamin D levels always stayed above 80. And I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but the research has come out talking about the importance of vitamin D in your immune system. Again, I can appreciate that. And you said going outside, I think is critical, but then I'm curious when you say meditate, I think meditation comes in so many different forms. What does that look like for you? What is meditation for you? So I actually meditate. I've developed a meditation practice over the last, man, wow. It's going on 10 years now, which is crazy to say. I've varied in consistency at times. Sure. There's times where I've, I freaking missed a month, I'm ashamed to say. But now it's more like a couple of days. And so I use an app called Headspace. Nice. And yep. so it is guided meditation. I have ambitions one day of like actually working with a meditation teacher. That'd be cool. I've, 
seen the power of it so much, yeah. but right now it's so efficient. It delivers it to my phone. It changes every day. I can change the time. Sometimes I only have five minutes. Other times it's like, I just did a focused retreat. I meditated twice a day for 20 minutes. And it's, yeah. I've seen, I'm ADHD and don't take any medicine. And I've seen the power and the effects of, and I can be short tempered at times, even though I'm a happy person. I don't know. I just get annoyed sometimes. And through meditation, my I've become much more patient. I've become much more self-aware and my focus is a lot better than it was before. Wow. No, that's great, man. I appreciate you sharing that with me. And Headspace is good. It's been around for a while. I think it was one of the first sort of OG apps that you could download that would help you with meditation. It's a good one. I've used it in the past, but again, appreciate you sharing that with me. I think a lot of people could benefit from just, like you said, slowing down, taking a deep breath and working inward instead of always trying to work outward is huge. And Matt, any closing last words, any Thing you'd like to relay to the podcast world, man. I feel like you're just a wealth of knowledge and information, but anything you want to get off your chest or any cool initiatives that you want to share that whether with your company or from the podcasting space, why don't you go ahead and tell people a little bit about your podcast, where to find it, and then anywhere else that you're online and creating content. Yeah, man. So I pre- I really appreciate the opportunity. My podcast is Evolving Engineering Construction Brands. And so we interview people that are in the engineering construction space or that are growing brands to help try and bring away tactical advice and stories of how you can evolve your engineering construction brand in the digital world. Follow me on LinkedIn. I post content all the time there. I have way more people that consume my content there. I appreciate anyone that supports me digitally. As There's a lot more people that support you than actually press the like button. Button, but that mm-hmm. little like button helps other people see it. So if you actually like what I post, I'd ask you to go ahead and give it a If not, yeah. understand, I'll just continue to try and get better at it. And then you can work with my company by going to our website, which actually isn't even functioning. I'll just reach out to me on LinkedIn. But if you're wondering how to reach customers digitally, how to attract talent digitally, then I'd love to have a conversation with you and we can go from there. But uh, I want to give you a shout out too, man. It's been so great getting to know you now that we've recorded this twice. It's been (laughs) a handful of months now and I love consuming your content. I just love the person that you are. And so a big shout out to your sponsors and the people that are helping you do what you do. And I challenge some of your sponsors right now that this is your first opportunity to have an influencer marketer, bring this guy (laughs) into your organization, help him evaluate your product. Let him be honest with you. He might help you improve it and then get into his audience because this is where it's really happening. You can talk to any of your customers. They all consume podcasts. They're not uh, not even making it to your website as much, but they're on social media. They're listening to audio. And that's the facts. I think that's a great way to close out. But before we do, I do need to quickly mention some information about a new partnership that we've landed with the oil patch. They're your energy news fix in five minutes or less. Think hustle or morning brew for energy sent directly to your email every single day. It's short. They've got some comical relief and it's built by people that have been in oil and gas since I think they were walking. They just learned to walk. And so these dudes know the content. They know where to find good quality information. Again, big shout out to the Oxen family up there in Oklahoma they're the ones who started it so please do them a favor and subscribe using the link in the show notes or simply just go to theoilpatch.co again thanks for listening and always remember that everyone deserves access to energy and we is greater than me thanks everybody